this is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. Kaushik, my friend, the weather is getting warm. How are you doing out there on the West Coast? It's getting much warmer here too on the West Coast. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. It reminds me why <laughs> I live in California. You know, it's it's nice and sunny. It, it does still get a little chilly at night. Uh, you know, the weather is a little weird like that. But, you know, it's when when it when the sun shines, it feels like you're in heaven. So it does. Yeah, it's uh, it's enjoyable. Just like uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about today, which is interesting because just this week, I sent out a tweet about how enjoyable it is to work with Compose. And then it just happens to be that we're going to be talking about Compose today. So then I'll let you fill in who we're going to be talking to and what we'll be talking about, because you have a background with this person and, and they've actually been on the show before, but I'll let you take it and, you know, I'll kind of prime it here. What are we going to be talking about and who are we talking to? So I was touching base, like you said, with one of my good friends and a colleague from the past. Uh, so Colin White is going to be joining us on this show. Folks will remember the last time Colin was on the show was, I think, episode 171. We're going to be open sourced um, an image loading library for Kotlin, the famous coil library that most people who you know pick a Kotlin solution and want a really good, solid, well thought of image loading library uh, use. Colin recently joined uh, Square. He joined, uh, well, Block, I guess. Uh, he joined the Cash App. And he and I were touching base. And he was telling me that he's been working on some really cool things with Compose. So I figured, hey, we should talk about some of that stuff. Uh, you know, we have talked about uh, Jetpack Compose on Fragmented. You know, I think we first talked to Vinay Gabba from Airbnb, who's been doing some really cool things. That was around episode 231. And even before that, like, you know, arguably the father of Jetpack Compose, <laughs> Leland, uh, we talked to him, like, you know, in two episodes where we really dove deep into like the compiler and like more on the Google side of things, right? So today I'm really excited because Colin's been working on some really cool stuff. So without further ado, Colin, welcome back. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast again. Yeah, thank you for for coming back and joining us. And like Kaushik said, you know, again, thank you for the for the Coil library. It's I know that I use it, and many other people use it. It's fantastic. But I'm really interested to hear what you're learning on. Excuse me, what you're you've been working on recently. But before we get down to that, there are probably a lot of people that are just starting to listen to this podcast that have are getting interested in Compose, and they found this podcast and so forth. So they may not know about you, perhaps where you work now and so forth. So could you give us a little background about you know who you are, where you work and kind of and so forth? For sure. Yeah. So as Kaushik mentioned, I uh, used to work with Kaushik over at Instacart, recently moved over to the Cash App slash Blocks slash Square, the, the company of many names. And uh, yeah, I work on some kind of eccentric Kotlin things on, on Cash App. I also work a little bit on product stuff at Cash App. Technically, the, the team I'm on is the Cash OS team. Um, and yeah, I work with a bunch of awesome people you, you might know in the Android community, folks like uh, Jesse Wilson and Jake Wharton. And we're going to talk about, yeah, one of the, the projects that I've been working on called Treehouse. Treehouse. So let's talk Treehouse. Treehouse is interesting because A, I will say initially, Colin, when you told me about it, I was super confused. I'm like, wait, what? Treehouse? Like, what does Treehouse mean? Like, well, 
because there's also other libraries called Zipline and Redwood. So there's Zipline, Redwood, Treehouse, and all these names. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't understand any of this. I need to like really talk to you about this. So <laughs> I guess like we should, can you tell us a little like at a high level before we dive in deep? Like, is that the stuff that you're working on? Like, yeah, tell us more like some of the stuff that you've been working on. Yeah, what is it? Yeah. Yeah, so definitely there, there's a lot to break down in this episode, I feel like. But the the first thing to kind of understand is Treehouse at like a, a very high level is a code name for a project that we're working on at Cash App. And yeah, at high level, it's kind of a new way to build cross-platform UIs using Jetpack Compose. And there, there's probably a bunch of steps we're going to have to break down to figure out how it does that. Yeah, it, I guess the first thing we should probably jump into is understanding the difference between Compose and Compose UI. Right. Because again, th- that's a really common and very understandably easy to confuse concept, right? Because in the early days of Jetpack Compose, we all just thought of Jetpack Compose as being this single thing, but really it, it's different. And I think the reason we want to bring it up is if you want to understand the difference in like Zipline, Redwood and Treehouse, it's sort of important to sort of uh, gauge this difference between like, you know, Compose and Compose UI, if that, you know, that's the distinction we're making. Can you tell us a little about that? For sure. Yeah. So Jetpack Composes, as you might know it and work on or work with it as an Android developer, consists of two parts. So there's really the the Compose compiler um, and a little bit of runtime, which handles things like state management, uh, determining which functions to kind of invoke when their inputs have changed, uh, which functions to skip and other kind of compiler magic that that lets uh, Jetpack Compose update your, your UI. But there's also a second piece to it, which is the Jetpack Compose UI piece, which are the UI components. So the actual, this is the actual piece that replaces views. Um, it handles drawing uh, your columns, your, your text, your buttons on a canvas. So those are kind of the, the two differences. You have the state piece, which is Jetpack Compose, um, and you have the UI piece, which is the UI components. Right, right. And I mean, that that's a good like sort of technical explanation. I think that makes sense for people who have used it, right? The thing that made it click for me was tracing the story of like how it all came out, right? Because uh, in the early days, you know, and when we started this whole reactive UI thing started to become interesting for people, you know, I think React was probably what everyone was looking at, right? Because React has this concept where with web pages, you can incrementally update just a portion of the web page, right? And that's what makes it compelling. That's what made it compelling. And that's why, you know, the entire world at this point sort of started to look at React. And I think that notion started to get very interesting. And obviously, I think Google in the background was working on coming up with the equivalent of this. Along with that, like, you know, the whole... Uh, you know, a composable UI mechanism of like writing DSLs for your UI, you know, but I think that was also catching on. So that was like their solution, right? It's like, okay, Jetpack Compose for Android, let's just come up with the solution. But what got interesting, and this is the piece that like, you know, a lot of folks I think don't remember, or like, you know, Google got really good at removing the UI components out of the OS, right? You know, back in the dark old days for people who remember, if you know, if you had to use, I don't think it was Recycler View, List View, I guess, right? Was it called List View before Recycler View? Yeah, List View. Good old List View. Yeah. So a lot of those things were baked into the OS, right? So we had to wait for like the next Google I.O. or when the next Android OS version update would come in. And then you could sort of 
take advantage of a lot of these library and components, right? And obviously, you know, with famously Android, like uptake for like newer versions were pretty bad in the past. And I think Google wanted to get out of that mode, right? So they started to do, and now we just take it for granted, right? But it was like pretty revolutionary at that point, which is like, hey, no, we're going to tease out all like the UI pieces or like, you know, these library, the things that we think of libraries today. And that's like, you know, app compact basically came off from there where, you know, even if you used older versions of, you know, the Android OS, you could keep updating the libraries and, you know, leverage uh, the UI pieces as library components. So they got really good at that piece. And I think, you know, that learning translated when they built Jetpack Compose, right? So with Jetpack Compose, they were like, okay, we got to make the UI thing separate from this runtime. And this, the runtime, and Colin, you obviously understand this the best, right? The way it works is it sort of is the, when we talk about the Compose runtime, it sort of is just like a very efficient mechanism of doing that diffing, like, you know, back from the React days. Like if you think of your, the whole, like, you know, imagine a node and if you want to diff just a specific piece of like, you know, in this tree, if you want to diff just a portion of those nodes, that's what the compiler does. The Compose uh, runtime or the Compose compiler does, right? It's very good at just saying, okay, I know the set of things to change. Yeah, totally. So it, it it understands pretty clearly because it's a Kotlin compiler plugin as well. So it can kind of infer these things. So it understands pretty clearly, clearly that if you update the, the text for, say, let's say you update the toolbar text, you don't need to redraw the world. You can just redraw uh, things that subscribe to that, including the, the toolbar UI, let's say. Mm, great. And I think that's the key difference, right? So you have that compiler that just understands how to do diffing. And you can, and like what I think they did is like, that's where Compose UI comes in, where you can plug it to this differ and say, okay, now apply this mechanism to, you know, Compose UI, which takes care of like rendering Android widgets. And you could potentially plug it into something else, like, you know, a a web UI. You could even plug it to like a terminal-based UI, you know, so that that was the thinking of how it was built. So now I want to come back to this, uh, what you mentioned about Treehouse, Zipline, and Redwood, right? Is Zipline basically just the compiler that takes care of this? And is Redwood like the UI? Like, how do we think about that? Uh, you know, because is it the similar sort of analogy to Jetpack Compose? Yeah, so I'd, I'd say it's a little different. So Treehouse itself isn't actually uh, an open source project. So if you if you go to Cash App slash Treehouse, you're, you're not going to find anything. Uh, Trios itself is kind of the combination of Redwood and Zipline when working together. And Redwood and, and Zipline accomplish pretty different things, but if you put them together, great things happen. So to kind of break down what each individual library is, at a, at a very high level, Redwood makes it easy to write composable functions that target another UI toolkit. And yeah, should I jump into Zipline or should we just kind of focus on uh, Redwood? Wherever you want to take it, maybe let's stick to Redwood because I'm curious. Is Redwood aimed just at Android UIs, or is it? And so is it like you know? Uh, so that's how it's different. You're saying it's not like Compose UI because Compose UI, as we know today, for the most part, only targets Android, right? Does Redwood target just Android UIs, or does it target other platforms? Yeah, Redwood actually lets you target kind of any UI toolkit. So if we, yeah, based on the discussion we just had kind of around Jetpack Compose versus Jetpack Compose UI, Redwood lets you write Jetpack Compose functions. And then instead of targeting Jetpack Compose UI, you can uh, apply that state basically that you've generated in this composable function 
You can apply it to uh, UI views on iOS. You can apply it to uh, HTML elements on, on the web. Uh, you can apply it to Compose UI multi-platform from, from JetBrains, kind of any UI target. Uh, it lets you ensure that the, the state you're generating from those composable functions is passed on to that UI. Oh, that's pretty cool. So Redwood is almost like a layer before even Compose UI because you're saying you can... So, and Redwood is a library. So I can you know spin up an Android app or an iOS app and I can import Redwood as a library and start using it. Totally, yeah. So Redwood is is a library. It's also a Kotlin compiler plugin. Yeah, I, to kind of drill into how it works basically is we, we mentioned uh, earlier that you can plug in kind of a custom applier into the Compose compiler plugin. So typically that applier will just apply directly to Compose UI, but Redwood adds in its own applier and then does some code generation to let you hook into uh, the output of, of these diffs that the Compose compiler is producing. Yeah, so it kind of, it generates two sets of functions. I, I guess actually to, to back up one second is the, the first thing when you're using Redwood is you have to define a schema. So Redwood itself doesn't come with any schema. So, and this is really great if you have kind of a design system, a very formalized design system, but you want to build a schema that has, let's say, uh, let, let's let's say we're building a counter app, for instance, and our counter app has an increment button, a decrement button, and a count. It has three things in the UI, and we want to build it using Redwood. So the first thing we need to do with Redwood is to create a schema, and our schema would have two widgets, a button and a text, because that's that's all we need. We have two buttons and a text, and so we only need to define the the button once, and we have the text. Uh, and then for each of these widgets, we need to define their properties. So our button is going to have uh, some some text, uh, just a string property, uh, and it'll also have an on-click uh, property, a, a callback. And then our text uh, widget will just have a text property, just a string. And you pass that schema, which is defined in Kotlin as well, you pass that schema to the compiler plugin, and the compiler plugin will generate two kinds of things for you. It'll generate functions, composable functions that look a lot like Compose UI functions that you can call from your multi-platform Compose uh, presenter. So I can write this presenter that'll invoke these Compose UI-ish functions, but they're not actually Compose UI. They, they plug into Redwood underneath the, the surface. And it'll also, Redwood will also generate interfaces. And these interfaces have functions for each of your properties. So it's it's a little tough to explain just with voice, but uh, you essentially, if we're thinking about our, our button, we're going to have a compose UI or a compose UI function that has our two properties in it that we can just call. And then our interface is going to have an on-click function that gets invoked that essentially sets the on-click. And that's going to get invoked anytime, anytime you change the on-click or change uh, uh, it, it, with the text property as well. If you if the text of the button changes, that method in your interface will get reinvoked, and you can use that to update your UI target. So if we're thinking about views, for instance, say we bound our, our Redwood uh, stuff to views, that method in our interface is going to invoke to say, "Hey, the text got updated." Then we're going to set text view dot text equals whatever is passed to us. 
And that's kind of how we end up with these reactive UIs that are, are built with, with any toolkit. Interesting, interesting. And just backing up, you, so you said you have to define a schema, right? What's involved in defining that schema? Because like, it feels like that might be a lot of work, right? Because that almost feels like I have to redefine like, the entire Android UI stuff, or is it a layer lower, higher than that? Can you tell me what exactly is involved in writing a schema? Yeah, so I, I think that's definitely a, a good call out. And that's something that uh, Redwood, yeah, it explicitly doesn't come with its own schema. So when you when you work with Redwood, um, and I think this kind of goes to who should be using Redwood, you really want to have some kind of formalized design system and say like this is these are the properties I, I support in my UI because you need to define what a button looks like to you. You know, does your button have an enabled state, a disabled state, things like that? You have to make the decisions to to include those in your schema. Yeah, there is one. One one thing we've been working on, which is actually kind of the the main piece I'm working on, uh, which is ideally we don't want users to have to define things like rows and columns and kind of general arranging of widgets. So Redwood does ship an artifact that lets you plug in uh, multi-platform Redwood col- uh, multi-platform columns and rows and and kind of other layout widgets. But for things like buttons, text, you'll need to define those yourself. In, and the properties they have in your schema. Got it, got it. Okay, so perfect. So you define your schema and, and oh, by the way, so just if I'm purely as an Android developer, right? Redwood um, plugs into the Jetpack, the, the compiler, uh, the Compose compiler. You don't have to like also import another compiler or something, right? Like Redwood works with the Jetpack Compose compiler. Yeah, exactly. You just apply the Redwood plugin and it kind of, sorts everything out and you can write your compo- your your composable I think yeah one thing to stress is that your composable functions look very much like you're interacting with compose UI so it really is very familiar for mobile developers who are used to working with compose um, it's the same tooling and it it looks very similar to invoking a standard compose UI function right right so once you define that schema what Redwood does is it basically generates something that looks very similar to what we think of as Compose UI today. But it's not exactly Compose UI because if you use Redwood, you're like replacing the Compose UI piece, right? If I understand that correctly, you you are building, like Redwood gives you a version of Compose UI that looks very similar. So it's almost like you're using the same thing, but it is like a replacement for Compose UI. Exactly. The the functions you're, you're calling into, uh, they pipe all those diffs from Compose and apply them to that interface I talked about earlier. And that interface can be implemented by any UI toolkit. It can be implemented by yeah, UI views on, on iOS, standard views on, on Android, Com- Compose UI, of course, kind of any um, UI toolkit. If this is a, re- I, mean, I might be misunderstanding this. If this is a replacement for Compose UI, then how do I use it? From like, if I look at it from a beginner perspective, I'm used to using Compose as it is. I've built some screens with it. This sounds interesting because I would like to try to do some cross-platform targeting. Am I still using Compose? I mean, I know I'm using the Compose runtime and the compiler, but am I still using Compose UI at all or no? So you actually can, you can still use Compose UI. I think the, yeah, the kind of best way to understand it is that Redwood is adding a layer in between Compose and Compose UI. So you can pipe those diffs into Compose UI, just like 
it happens today with any kind of standard Android app, but you can also choose to pipe those diffs into UIKit on iOS if you write a UIKit implementation or uh, uh, HTML elements on, on web. There's a, there's a Kotlin HTML uh, API. So it really lets you kind of, yeah, decouple Jetpack Compose UI and Jetpack Compose, but you can definitely still use the two together and they uh, work really great together. Oh, interesting. So basically, once you have these, once you once Redwood does its work, so to speak, because like you were saying, it's a Kotlin compiler plugin, it basically just generates code for you, essentially, right? And it generates, if you're on, on Android, it generates like, you know, view-related code. If you're on iOS, it generates UI kit-related code. And if you're on the web, so to speak, it generates like HTML elements, right? Uh, yeah, so it's not it's not actually generating any elements for the individual toolkit. It just generates an interface um, that then you have to implement yourself. Oh, I see. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, because that was going to be my other question. So, like, say, you know, your iOS colleagues want to also use this with you, right? What they would do is they could, both of you could use the same schema, so to speak, because, you know, that should hopefully be common. And once you apply Redwood, it generates the interfaces, but then your iOS colleague would have to like, you know, use the implementation for that interface on iOS, potentially using UIKit or Swift UI or something. And on the Android side, you know, we just you like you implement the interface using existing views, uh, you know, our regular Android views or potentially, you know, compose UI or something. Totally. Yeah. So the the way it works today at Cash App is say we want to add a new widget to our schema. Say I'm adding a, a button. Uh, I'll add in a button definition into our schema and then I can write uh, compose functions that call into this Redwood button function. But I just then pass off this button interface to the iOS developer I work with, the Android developer I work with, and they they work on translating, on writing that interface for their platform. So the, these interfaces, they can, uh, yeah, they, they can be implemented in, in Swift as well because of, of course, Kotlin multi-platform works, works great with interoperability. This is super cool, but it is a lot of work. So, because initially my thought process was like, wait, that's a lot of work. Like every time I do that, like it doesn't feel like that would, like that doesn't seem easy. But I think what, like now that I'm like understanding it more, this is geared more towards like, I think that sentence you made early on, which is like, hey, if you have design systems, I think that makes a lot of sense because it's very similar to a design system, right? Like somebody has to put in the work once to like plug that ecosystem in and then everyone else gets to benefit, right? Because you're not gonna, every time you add a new button to a screen, you don't have to necessarily generate a new interface for it, hopefully, right? Like if you think it through and have your design system generate the necessary interfaces and, you know, you have someone like Colin come in and like, you know, implement, provide the implementation for that interface, that's a one-time thing. And then thereafter, everyone can just keep using it. Totally, yeah. I think I think that's really key that you you want to have a design system coming into this. If you're not kind of a yeah larger org with with a, a set design system, then yeah, Redwood it it adds a, a bit of overhead. Got it, got it. And actually, yeah, no, maybe thinking more from the practical, like well, not practical, but more from the as a user perspective, right? Do, do, does uh, do you folks use Redwood right now on? Other platforms, like do you use it on iOS and web? Uh, yes, we do. We do have some tests running with Redwood, and um, and we'll talk about Zipline in, in a second. But yeah, we we absolutely uh, Cash App does a lot of 
cool col- column multi-platform stuff. So we have column multi-platform running on iOS. I don't think any of it's running on web yet, but it, it theoretically could, we could get there. And yeah, Redwood and Zipliner are both in use in the iOS app at Cash App. So actually, yeah, maybe touching on that, what is the user experience like with the iOS pieces, right? Because I mean, with all of these multi-platform options, the biggest challenge is always like, hey, how do I get other people? Because I mean, as Android developers, we love Kotlin, right? So it's easy. That's like a no-brainer. You're like, sure, let's do it. All Kotlin? Like, hey, sign me up. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm down to doing it, right? The biggest challenge is always being, how do I get my iOS colleagues to buy into this, right? So I am curious, can you like touch a little about that? Like, what do your iOS colleagues think about using Redwood? Do they use it? You know, are they using Xcode or have they shifted to like, you know, IntelliJ or something? I'm just curious what that realistically looks like for an iOS developer. For sure. Yeah. So I, I think, I mean, it, I, I definitely agree with you that it's always tough to kind of get uh, iOS developers love Swift and kind of introducing uh, an extra language into the mix. If the tooling isn't right, if it kind of holds them back, then yeah, then, then they, they might not like it quite as much. I think the reception overall has been pretty good. Um, with working uh, with Kotlin. Specifically, I think the the thing that's nice about Redwood is even though the new kind of the, the DOM, the screens are built with Compose functions, iOS developers still work with Swift. The, the, interface, the, the interfaces that Redwood is generating can be implemented in Swift. So uh, it's nice for iOS developers who kind of don't want to work with Kotlin. You can just hand them an interface to say, hey, I need this UI component implemented on iOS, and then they can just work on that. And so, yeah, I think the reception has been pretty okay. It, it, we're still not quite at wide usage internally at Cash App, though, um, yeah, when, once we get there, I'm sure there'll be more kind of concerns and things to address. The the tooling overall is just shipping a, a, a standard multi-platform, uh, a standard multi-platform library. So I, I and I'm I'm not an iOS developer myself, but I believe it integrates with CocoaPods, and it's yeah the interop is is pretty good between Swift and Kotlin and, and getting better all the time. So it's as if they were interacting with Swift classes directly. Right, right. I mean, I've heard good things about uh, well, I've heard better things. I must say, because I mean, Colin, you remember we tried something like this long time back, right in Instacart, and that the tooling was just it was a little tricky and this was like five six years ago a lot of good stuff has gone in after that so yeah no i am curious to see like how that's sort of evolved and how it's better uh today yeah it's come a long way for sure got it got it well, well, just like before we jump into zipline because i think you know it's a good opportunity to like move on because i think like at this point we understand redwood what are what are your takeaways like you know have you found what are some of the advantages of like you think of using Redwood, so to speak, right? Uh, you know, just to recap sort of Redwood. Yeah. So I think uh, some of the biggest advantages are cementing our design system in kind of a very type safe way. That's That's been something that's great for a bigger org is having our, our schema listed out exactly. These are the properties that are supported. And then it's implemented consistently uh, across platforms. And also it lets us build new UIs that we know are consistent as well. And that have consistent logic. All, all our presenters, or sorry, I shouldn't say all our presenters, but all the the presenters we're, we're building with Treehouse, they run the same logic, so we can have things like uh, actual business logic in in them uh, shared between platforms. And uh, yeah, we end up with these nice 
cross-platform and in quote UI because it's still interacting with the native UI components. But uh, yeah, we just end up with nice, consistent logic, which is always a tough thing when you when you have a large org. Makes sense. Makes sense. I am curious to jump into Zipline, but uh, Don, did you have anything else you want to cover in Deadwood, or should we jump into Zipline? No, I think we've covered everything that I had a question on. Perfect. So where does Zipline come in, Colin? Yeah, so we were just talking about Compose and Compose UI with Redwood. Zipline is kind of in a whole other ballpark. It's a whole whole different thing. It's it's a little magical, but kind of when you understand what's going on underneath the hood, it's 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 pretty cool, I think. So at a super high level, uh, Zipline lets you dynamically update Kotlin code in your app. Hmm. Damn. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A lot so, of unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it does this. So yeah, I guess. I, Do I need to have Red, Redwood? Is this like integrated with Redwood or can I can it be without or I'll let you explain. Yeah, that's a great question. So Zipline and, and Redwood, they can stand alone themselves. You can use one or the other. They they don't uh, require each other at all. So the way Zipline works is essentially you you start off by defining an interface. So let's say that we're defining um, just a, yeah, uh, let's say we're defining like a, a function that returns some, some value, uh, an ad function, an ad service, let's say. And the ad service has a method uh, that takes in two things and adds them together and returns the result. But let's say we want this interface to have a dynamic implementation where we can update it and change it as our business logic changes. Let's say all of a sudden we we want to change the add function to subtract subtract instead of add. Zipline makes it easy to dynamically update the implementation of this interface. So previously, I remember there used to be this library called duct tape, right? Which purported to do a similar thing from Square. Is basically this like is it similar in concept to for the few people who remember duct tape? That, that's a great question. Duct tape actually, yeah, preceded me. I think it was an embeddable JavaScript engine, right? Right, right. I think it was similar to the... I, honestly, I haven't used duct tape either, but I, I did remember talking to Jesse in the early days, uh, maybe even in, in an episode here, where it is that idea of like shipping code. So it, it, this sounds like the logical sort of uh, successor, but no, I mean, maybe just diving in, right? I guess like the big question is like, wait, how, how do you do that? <laughs> which which I, I imagine is like, uh, yeah, we got to dive into the details, right? Yeah, maybe let's start with, so when you say dynamic, it's able to ship, so you're right, you're still in Kotlin code line, right? Like you're writing Kotlin code. Do you write Kotlin code in the server that just is shipped to your client now? Like, yeah, maybe let's step through what that means. I think I understand what it achieves. It seems magical, but I don't understand how. So maybe that's where I want to start, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, one thing to stress is it's it's Kotlin all the way down. You're you're only writing Kotlin. You you don't have to even though I'll mention other languages in a second, you don't you don't have to interact with them. So like I mentioned earlier, you create a common interface. So we we create this add service that adds two numbers together. And what you're going to do is you're going to that's implemented in common main in, in Kotlin. So if you're familiar with the multi-platform stuff. That's kind of where all your shared code goes. And so, yeah, so you have this shared interface uh, and it's shared between your app and your dynamic code. 
so I like the, the part that I'm like still struggling a little, right? Is like today, if I have to change something, I have to change a function in Android Studio or like IntelliJ, right? Like on my Android app, I hit run, build, and then it ships onto like, you know, I, I get an APK and then I ship it. How do you bypass that? Like what, well, not bypass, but like, how do you sort of that, that in my mind, that's the model. Like, you know, you write something on your ID for your Android app and you ship that binary. What, what, how is Zipline doing something different? Yeah, so Zipline is our, our dynamic code. Uh, the implementation of the interface is written in Kotlin JS. So it's in your JS main source set. Ah, yeah. interesting, interesting. This is where the, the kind of, yeah, secret sauce kind of happens. So yeah, even though it's, and even though I mentioned JavaScript, it's it's completely, I think, I, I should mention it's completely an implementation detail. So you never write or, or see JavaScript yourself. You're writing pretty standard Kotlin that uh, is then compiled to JavaScript, and Zipline is then handling ha- handling downloading this this JavaScript from wherever it comes from and and running it and updating it on a timer. So let's say um, ah interesting and, interesting yeah. So for for debug builds, how we set it up in Cash App is it's typically kind of constantly polling where uh, a, a local web server. Uh, for for debug stuff, and it's constantly checking like, hey, is there new, is there new JavaScript? Is there new JavaScript? And if there is, it'll download that and just update it. And it Zipline is nice because it kind of handles and abstracts away all the requirements for interacting with JavaScript. So to you, yeah, to you on in your app, it looks like you're just calling this Kotlin function. You you get an interface. You, you call zipline.take to get the implementation of that interface. And Zipline kind of handles the bridging of everything into that JavaScript code, which is dynamically updated and it kind of handles all the caching and, and everything like that. Ah, uh, interesting. So when you started out by saying it generates an interface, I didn't quite understand why it was important, but I think I'm getting it now because that interface is your bridging. So as long as you conform to that interface, you can change the implementation and that's sent down, basically. And Zipline basically is like, look, you're adhering to this interface. So as long as that, you can write anything you want as long as it adheres to that interface and it pulls that down, basically. Exactly, yeah. Does it run it on like a web view or something? Like what? how does, Zip, like, how does Zipline sort of handle that piece? Like, Yeah, so Z- Zipline packages in this QuickJS JavaScript engine. It's this really small uh, kind of very very well-formed JavaScript engine that, uh, yeah, we, we package it on both iOS and Android. There's uh, another plugin we use that lets us package it into our Kotlin multi-platform artifact so it can easily be, be used where, wherever it's needed. Uh, and we use that to, to run the JavaScript code that's produced by the Kotlin compiler. Right, right. And QuickJS is actually pretty reputed. Like it's the FFmpeg guys for people who have used, right? Like, so it is a well-known engine. I'm, I'm guessing it's not like something that, you know, was a hobby project Colin <laughs> did. Not that, I mean, I, Colin's a, a fan, one of the best <laughs> developers I've seen. So like, you know, even if he wrote it, I would trust it. But, you know, this isn't, is backed by like some people who understand how this works, right? For sure. It's, yeah, I think it's a very well-respected JavaScript engine. It's also very focused on being small. I think it's, I, I could be wrong, but I think it's like one C file or, or something. It's a very relatively small amount of code for how much heavy lifting it does. Interesting, interesting. And there, there's so 
and just before we like because this thought came to my head this is again like aimed more at android right like we're not talking like cross platform this is just like hey how do we get stuff done on the android side or does this also work on yeah so i i actually wouldn't say that this is like coupled to to android at all it's something we also use on ios and and android it essentially lets us kind of separate from redwood we it allows us to write business logic uh say so at, at cash app we have this thing called payment history dot dot js it's kind of this older file that that predated all of zipline and it has a bunch of business logic related to payments so that kind of has a bunch of shared code that we're looking to transition over to zipline because it lets us have this shared code that we can dynamically update as the rules change and this is great for like business logic and things that you would normally potentially put on the server but now you can have it on the client and i think an important thing to note as well is it can it can be cached and yeah so you you support those kind of first launch and offline scenarios uh because we can package uh the javascript with the app when it's being built but it can also be updated as there is new stuff when when the app is run yeah, is there for the code that's running on the client is there any noticeable lag with this since it's it's actually running javascript yeah, that's a great question. I, I'm not sure about the exact performance specifics, but it, it hasn't been an issue for us. Uh, QuickJS is is super quick. It's, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it has been an issue. There is a slight performance cost because kind of diving more into the secret sauce, you might be wondering like, okay, when I call the function on the host side, how does the JavaScript actually get the 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 arguments that are being passed to it right and so there is there is this uh json layer and we use we use call and x serialization so if you're passing in two numbers like for our ad service it's going to convert those two numbers into json which is a, of course just uh string versions of those numbers but for more complex objects it'll convert those into json pass them to the the javascript the dynamic code and do all the computation and then uh, convert it back into those objects on the JS side. So it's completely transparent. The JavaScript and the JSON, you, you never see it, you never touch it. You don't have to think about it, but that's kind of the, the secret sauce that's happening under the hood. Interesting. This is actually clicking because now I remember when I talked to Jesse on this on an episode here, he was saying some of the things that you sort of like try to use this is also when you have, uh, you know, you gave the example, uh, Colin, like payment history, right? Like, you know, different states, countries, or, you know, might have different tax laws and stuff. So you could potentially change like some of those calculations and adhere it to that specific. Like, I'm trying to think of the application where you would use these things, right? The other is like different onboarding flows, I remember. So you, you know, if you, you bake in different paths, but depending on where you are you can like point to different flows right like you know with colin i know you're in seattle now so if you're in seattle you don't need to show you know i don't know one screen that deals with taxes or something like you can just point you can skip that screen and all of that business logic in quotes can basically be tuned am i thinking about this correctly yeah i think that's a good way to think about it yeah you might want to use zipline for any business logic that you you want to share that might normally exist on on the server, but you, yeah, but you you want to support it on yeah different set of platforms and dynamically update it as as it changes. Got it, got it. That makes sense. How do I deploy my 
code, basically. You know, does Zipline point to like a web server that I like that? I guess that's my next question, right? Because again, going back to my initial thought process, I think of writing the code on Android Studio, hitting run, and then having that show up in the app. Here, where am I writing that the implementation for that interface that's generated, right? Like I imagine the interface doesn't change, but the implementation for that logic, right? Where am I writing that? Am I writing that on like some backend server? That's the piece that hasn't clicked yet for me. Yeah, so that that's all you just like a standard Kotlin multi-platform project. You write that in the the JS main folder. So you you'll have your interface in common main, and then you'll you'll share it between your app, which is probably in another module, and then JS main is where you're going to write the implementation. Yeah, and the the zipline plugin provides this nice task. Uh, it it provides I think it's serve development zipline, and that runs a little web server locally that will allow you to, it'll, it'll give you a, a URL that you can point to in, in your app. Ah, I see. Okay, so got it, got it. So that URL, like, uh, that's the setup process, but that URL where it points to is, so you're saying you would write the JS main logic, but then the deployment for that in, as part of this multi-platform project would be that backend server, which your app points to via that URL you just mentioned. Yeah, so for what I'm talking about now is kind of how the development flow works locally. You you just run this local web server. You're you're running in the emulator. Everything just uh, you just point to the the right place, and everything kind of just works and updates dynamically. But for actually deploying this stuff, so if you're not just running the app locally on your machine, uh, Zipline doesn't have any kind of extras to like. It doesn't. Uh, you you'll need to work on kind of uploading the zipline manifest and the javascript files to whatever cdn you're you're working with and then pointing your app to a, a url that's exposed to the the world the the outside world ah uh, got it okay so that i think that yeah that's the part that i was like wait where how does where does it reach out to like you know what server but i think that makes sense so that's uh, got it got it thank you yeah that makes sense and how i guess like the other question is um, you kept saying that the JavaScript is more like an implementation detail, like the, it, you don't need to write any JavaScript, right? Th- does that mean like in the future you could swap out that JavaScript with, I don't know, whatever the, you know, people decide is like the new like engine for like rendering things like, oh, uh, you know, the Kotlin uh, WASM thing, right? Like WASM. Is that something that is possible too? Or no, is this like heavily hooked to JavaScript for for sure, yeah. So that that's definitely something that I think folks are, are thinking about is as Wasm continues to mature and eventually gets into a place where we could we could totally use it for for Zipline. Yeah, the Zipline itself uses QuickJS, it uses JavaScript, but it's totally an implementation detail. And I think there would be some benefits even to to jumping over to to Wasm when it when it's ready. Got it, got it. And I mean, again, Wasm is, I think, the WebAssembly stuff, right? Like that Kotlin is trying to, like the JetBrains folks are coming up with an implementation. So that's how I guess it would sort of uh, bridge together. I, yeah, we, we talked about performance earlier as well. And generally speaking in broad terms, I think Wasm has even even better performance because um, j- just the kind of way it's it's defined, it lends itself better to performance optimizations. Got it, got it. Wow, this is a lot, but it's a it's pretty cool stuff. Like I think it's yeah, it, I mean it sounds super interesting. 
I guess like the natural question is like, can I use it today? Like, can I use both Zipline and Redwood today? Is it out? So yeah. So the the answer is you you could you can. Uh, I think Zipline is in a pretty good good spot. It's kind of far along. It's fairly close to 1.0, though I'm not sure how exactly. So there there could be small breaking stuff, but absolutely we're we're using it today. And I think there are other companies using it today as well. So Zipline's in a in a pretty close to done spot. Redwood's a little more early. Uh, we have made we have uh, we have bind, uh, artifacts published to Maven Central. But really, there are still breaking changes going on all the time. There are bugs we know about. There are systems that aren't implemented yet, things that we need to get done. Um, so Redwood's a, a little earlier. But if you want to play around with it, there are sample apps in the repo that you can check out in the samples folder. Got it. Nice. And do the sample, because I, I mean, you know, I love the idea and the concept, but I will say I'm lazy. I don't want to have to <laughs> write all the piping, right? So do those samples have like, you know, uh, for example, the schemas and all of the stuff that you said that have to be defined? Do you have like, uh, I guess the sample apps should have that, right? Like it's a entirely contained thing where I can start to see what uh, what is involved? Totally. Yeah. So we have two main samples. We have one that kind of shows the counter I was talking about earlier. And we have one that shows a list of emojis. And yeah, both of those have readmes associated with them and you can run them in in a couple commands from the command line. So there's tons of information here. And the question that I have right now, I'm wondering if some other people probably have too, is what is the, you know, from, let's just take it back to like a beginner experience again. What is the developer experience look like from for a maybe a new developer who's getting started in this and i'm going to kind of add some pepper this with some additional information here so for example a lot of people might be wondering about all right should i be using why shouldn't i use react native or flutter or hotwire or web views or whatever why should i use uh, redwood and i guess the big question here is What's that development experience like? Is this something that's easy to adopt? Is there some challenges that are still involved? Is that still being ironed out? Or what does that whole kind of area and realm look like from you know Redwood and Zipline? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think the the comparison to React Native is is a little apt. Definitely, there's there's some JavaScript stuff going on, and we're we're using native UI components. But really, the the benefits I think of Redwood and kind of Trios as as a whole is that for, first and foremost, it's it's Kotlin all the way down. We're, we're big fans of Kotlin. We have a lot of existing Kotlin code as well. And we have a lot of, <clears throat> at Cash App specifically, we have a lot of Kotlin developers. Our, our backend is in Kotlin. And so folks are comfortable with Kotlin. If you like Kotlin, I think that that's an advantage for, for Redwood and Zipline. In terms of tooling, Treehouse is built by mobile developers, kind of with mobile developers in mind. So you're not dealing with like NPM or VS Code if you don't want to. Yeah, it works great with IntelliJ or Android Studio. And yeah, part of the reason we went down this route as well is we think it has the greatest chance of convincing our organization of using kind of a shared code solution. Uh, we, Like I mentioned, we, we have a lot of mobile developers and I think folks are kind of more palatable to, to Kotlin versus introducing a, a bunch of JavaScript into our code base. And yeah, in terms of adoption, Redwood is really built for progressive uh, adoption. So we can use it for things as small as uh, one view in the app. It doesn't need to, you don't need to go kind of whole hog and adopt it for a whole screen or nothing. It can be as small or as big a, as you want. 
and it the interop with existing views and UI views and Compose UI is is really strong, and and we want to keep that so it's easy to integrate. And then, uh, yeah, one other thing is that Redwood is is really much smaller than the React Native, and that's partly by the fact that it, it doesn't come with your own design system. React Native kind of comes with its own text, it, it, all these components, and that's nice for smaller teams. But if you have your own design system and you you know exactly what you need, Redwood doesn't come with any any of the existing components, and you, you kind of just implement your own. I guess like a more basic question, Colin. You said you want to talk about Treehouse, right? Which is like Zipline and Redwood. I heard what you said about Redwood. I heard what you said about Zipline. Both sound really cool independently, but what what's what's the magic in combining them? Like why bother combining them, right? Like why not treat these as independent sort of efforts? Yeah, just to kind of sum it up. So we've, we've got Redwood, right? Which makes it easy to write composable functions that then pipe those into any UI toolkit. So pipes, pipes those different than any UI toolkit. And then we have Zipline, which lets us dynamically update a Kotlin interface with, we, we can update the implementation to, to whatever we need it to be. And when we combine those two together, if we make our presenter, uh, our composable function, uh, if we make that a Zipline interface itself, all of a sudden we can have these dynamic screens that are powered by a presenter that can, can be updated dynamically. So all our, our presenter logic for, for a screen and in, including kind of the, the screen itself, because it's a compose function that calls into compose UI-esque functions. It lets us define our screens completely dynamically, update them dynamically, rearrange things, change any of the values for, for the properties for our items, kind of define a screen entirely dynamically. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the, oh, interesting. The, yeah, the overall kind of awesomeness of, of Treehouse. Got it. Got it. Th- th- that's pretty cool. And just like, you know, last set of questions before we start to wind this down, this combination of Zipline and Redwood is being used in production today. Yeah. So I think it, it it's being used. We, I think we've only launched it to kind of like internal employees. I don't think we've fully shipped it publicly yet. But it is definitely running in some capacity in, in Cash App. What are some things, like, when should I not use this technology, I guess, is the other question. I think if you're a smaller team and you don't necessarily have, yeah, the, the large team, the large set of developers, and you're not as... Because one, one thing that part, part of the reason we kind of went on this route is we're constantly running to issues with the app release cycle. Um, so if you're not dealing with issues with kind of needing to get out new features on a specific schedule, then Trios might not be for you, the extra overhead it adds, just in terms of process. But if you're a, a larger team, a larger organization, then I think Trios is really great for unblocking you to, to, to launch new things and, and decoupling you from the app release cycle and ensuring consistency between your screens. Oh yeah, that's a good point too. Like, So you have a similar experience across all these platforms as well. Totally. Uh, and I have to ask this question. Square doesn't have like a special deal with Google and Apple that allows them to do this, right? Like this is all very like kosher per the App Store guidelines. For sure. Yeah. So I just because you can update some code dynamically doesn't mean you can use it to, to break the App Store rules. So it, it really is. And it, yeah, one thing to call it as well is, of course, we're using interpreted JavaScript. But there's a whole thing around you're, you're not allowed to ship a, a binary uh, dynamically to the app store. So 
we don't do that and Trios doesn't support that. It's all interpreted. And yeah, as long as you're not doing crazy things like uh, shipping a whole new payment system like like Fortnite, but uh, then 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 you're probably yeah you, you can't use Treehouse to break the App Store rules. Got it. And that interpreted piece is important, right? Because that inherently brings in some of these restrictions. Like you know, you can't necessarily do two crazy things, though it still makes it pretty powerful. Totally. Cool. Wow, that was a lot. That's like I think I have to like go back and sort of <laughs> touch base and try to understand some of these things. But uh, thank you so much, Colin. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. One one thing I'd recommend is yeah, folks are interested in learning more about this stuff and kind of seeing examples and and visuals of stuff. Check out the Redwood project, Cash App slash Redwood on on uh, GitHub, as well as the Zipline project. They include samples and kind of things to play around with. Um, and should hopefully make things even more clear. Perfect, perfect. So ca- GitHub repositories, Cash App, Redwood, and Zipline. Yeah, exactly. And there's also uh, there's also a great talk or a great set of talks given by Jesse and Jake Wharton at DroidCon New York 2022. So uh, yeah, those are those are great talks as well. And we will make sure to add some of those in the show notes. I think that should be good. Colin, as always, pleasure talking to you, my friend. Likewise, yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Second second time. Yeah. And if folks want to reach out to you, ask more, because I'm sure there's going to be a whole bunch of flakes out of questions and queries that come up around this. What's a good place to do that? Yeah. So you can find me at uh, Colin at androiddev.social on, on Mastodon. Um, and you can also find me at Colin WHI on Twitter. Unfortunately, I, I couldn't get Colin White, so I cut off two characters at the end. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Cut off two characters in the end. Don, what's your ID? Do I have to cut off any characters on your name? <laughs> no, but you have to add an extra N. So it's just Don Felker on Twitter and uh, anywhere else online is usually the best way to find me. Kaushik, what about you? How can we find you online? Usually using my domain name. So mastodon.kau.sh, twitter.kaush. I'm trying to grab as many whatever social media handles that exist. So, you know, that just points me to the right place. So uh, <laughs> that's the way to get to me. Thank you all so much for listening. Colin, again, thank you so much for coming and explaining some of these things. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners are going to appreciate it too. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for listening. And we will catch you in the next episode. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.